Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts of the program, and we have a special treat for you today. We have one of my co-hosts, Alan Barnhart, on the podcast with us. Say hello to the folks, Alan. Hey, glad to be here. And, you know, we've done one of these before on a topic of that I get a lot. The way I explained the last one when I interviewed Alan was when people find out that, that I do this podcast with Alan, they start asking me questions about what Alan does. And I always joke that they never ask me questions about what I'm doing. They ask me questions about what Alan's doing. And so we had some time today. And so we thought Alan's been generous with his time to answer a couple of these top questions. One of them we covered before was, how do you do the giving on a corporate basis? Alan's been doing this for a lot of years. It's kind of developed over the years, gotten more mature that he does it in committees and all of this sort of thing. It's pretty, pretty sophisticated. And, but you know, you can start somewhere. And then that's one of the hot topics that we covered in a previous episode. One of the other popular questions that I get, Alan, and we've talked about this a little bit offline before, is, you know, you've given away, you know, the profits of the business, if you will. We can talk about that, you know, donated the, I guess you have the, you still have control through voting, but from a profits interest, whatever's left over after you pay everybody, reinvest in the business, goes to charity. You know, we deal with a lot of business owners in our wealth management company at Arcos, and and uh, this is a hot topic. Probably the number one question we get is, what do I leave the kids for business owners? Do I give them a piece of the business? Do I give them all of it, some of it, none of it? What do I do? And, uh, and you've been an inspiration to many, including me and our other co-host, Jeff Rutt, about you know, you've got a pretty, what most people would dub maybe a radical view of it. I've come around to that position. Not everybody has to do it that way, but people are very interested, I think, in the fact that you've done that and in particular, what your family thinks about it. Because I think there's a, there's a uh, well, I know this because I'm in this world of estate planning and not to throw any estate planning attorneys under the bus, but there is a bit of a template. They are taught in law school that you, there's a template. You simply divide the number of kids you have by your net worth and the only decision you have to make is what age are they sort of full trustee, maybe, of their own trust. And you've obviously completely rejected that template. We encourage people to reject the template. Maybe it's appropriate. If God tells you to do it, do it. But we think for the majority of people, it's not just the template. And maybe it's not exactly the, you know, giving it all away either. That's okay, too. But I just, you have such an interesting perspective on what do you say to the family about this? So, Maybe just start and tell a little bit of the background. I know not everybody knows the whole story, a little bit of how you started the company and the evolution of this thing. And he, frankly, you got a lot of kids. And so maybe tell the family story a little bit and then kind of what they think about it, what your spouse thinks about it, Catherine, and all of those kind of things. So I'm just going to let you roll and I'll, I'll just interject as, as needed. Great. Well, thanks. I, mean, I, I do have an amazing wife, Catherine, and six kids that I love, like, like to you know, love to death, and I want the best for them. And yes. I, uh, I want them to, to have great lives. I'm a follower of Jesus. So I, I want them to embrace that as well. And of course, each person has to decide themselves what they're going to do with that. But, uh, exactly. but as a follower of Jesus, when I was coming out of college, I was planning to go into business. 
And I decided to read through the Bible to see what it said about money. And man, it said a lot. There were thousands of verses. And uh, I was just listening to Tim Keller the other day, and he said that Jesus warned about money 10 times more than he warned about anything else. Heaven and hell, 2,300 verses. He spoke about it more than heaven and hell combined. Oh, yeah. Those those seem like pretty important topics. So, man, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he said. And he said, don't store up treasure for yourself on earth. Don't do that. He says, don't be anxious. He said, don't watch, he said, watch out for all forms of greed. He told these parables, you know, this guy with the, had an amazingly good crop and he could have been generous. Instead, he poured out his barns, built bigger barns. He basically could retire early. And in the story, God came to him, he called him a fool. And uh, so and there were lots of other, there were dozens of things that Jesus said and other passages in scripture brought me to the conclusion that this is dangerous. This whole concept of money is dangerous. And we look at an abundance of money as a blessing. And sometimes it is, maybe I shouldn't even say sometimes, often it can be a stumbling block or it can be a pitfall. And came away from reading all these verses and cataloging them and said, I need to be careful. I need to do this on purpose. This is a danger zone. and. It was a big deal 2,000 years ago because Jesus warned a whole bunch about it then. I think it's even a bigger deal today. I'm in an affluent culture. There's a lot of advertising telling me I need, you know, I will be happy if I do this or I deserve this or whatever. And so, um, so we decided that we would heed these warnings and put some safeguards in our life. And uh, the, the safeguards were, the whole concept of ownership um, that I also learned from the Bible that everything we have has come from God, belongs to God, and we are not owners. We are stewards. We don't have rights. We have responsibilities. And so we need to figure out how to work out those responsibilities. And the second thing that was more related to the fear of wealth was um, we decided to put a cap on our lifestyle and live a simple lifestyle and go into the, basically breaking the connection between our income and the business and our lifestyle for our protection. And that if God chooses to prosper the business, then we're not going to see that as a call to increase our lifestyle. Instead, we're going to see it as an opportunity to use that money. Now, we use half of it to grow the business and half we use to fund organizations that are changing people's lives and uh, mostly Christian organizations. So, so that was the commitment we made on the front end. And man, we're thankful that we did. The company was really small then. We had about 10 employees doing a million and a half dollars of revenue. And we just, this was in 1986. And we just got watched God do an amazing thing over the last 36 years and has put more money into our coffers than we ever imagined. And it has been really freeing to live a simple lifestyle. It was freeing to have that decision made on the front end. So we don't make it each year. Right. And uh, my brother and I have been partners now for 36 years and we've never argued about money. Yeah. Wow. Which is miraculous. And it, it is that is a miracle it's so, unto itself. Yes. Oh my gosh. And my wife and I have been married 37 years and we've never argued about money. And, you know, I think it is, it's because we made those decisions on the front end and we were trying to intentionally heed the warnings that God gave us. And uh, 
you know, setting those parameters, those constraints, you'd even say, some people would really react negatively to that, like that's taking away my freedom. And I think putting godly constraints in your life leads to freedom. Mm. And living a life without constraints sounds like freedom, but it leads to bondage in almost any area of your life. You know, we are serving a loving Heavenly Father that wants to give us a rich, abundant life. And He doesn't want our money. He wants us. But there's something about money, and He's talked about it so many times. There's something about money. Even as I'm talking, there are probably people that are clenching up as they think, I'm afraid of losing something. I there's guarantee they're no. clenching up because the first time I heard this, I was clenching up. Okay. And there's no need to be clenching up. God right. wants to give us a rich, abundant life and an eternal life. And, you know, this life is one, it's just a speck of our total existence. And so, I mean, the things that we've done, you know, one of the things that we did that people react to as being so radical, and yet to me, it just seems so logical, is when our company really grew and became worth hundreds of millions of dollars, we gave it away. And we did because, well, the estate tax issue was substantial, but also the, the, not just the tax if one of us died, but what would happen to this business if one of us died? And so we took 99% of the company and gave it away. We held the last 1% that had the, the control of the company. That was the voting shares. Later, we put those voting shares into a charitable trust that has a board of trustees. Um, and I'm on the board of trustees, but so we still, as the CEO, I still operate the company. I have a board of directors and a board of trustees, but I'm no longer the owner. And that sounds kind of radical, but Jeff, I never was the owner. You know, right. you know God owns it all. And God had taken this little small company that was with 10 people and made it a company with, well, now we have 1700 people. So we're a medium-sized company now and has brought you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into our company in profit and has allowed us to distribute it. At what point along the way should we say, God, now that you've done all this, I want to take it. It's mine now. <laughs> yeah, it just makes no sense to us. I, I, I love the, I love the worldview. One of the things I wrote down as you were talking is guardrails are there for your protection. You know, you're talking, you talk a lot about freedom and, uh, and how, you know, maybe not having the guardrails it gives you more freedom, but who is driven on a mountain road, like with no shoulder and yeah, no yeah. guardrail? It makes you nervous, you know, like I'd rather have a guardrail there. I mean, it, it's for our safety. And then the, the other phrase that you and I have used and, and our buddy Jeff Rudd is papering the truth. Yeah. You know, like if you believe that God owns it all and, uh, and then you document it, you know, we just talked about that as like sort of just papering like that's That's what we believed all, all along. It doesn't, you were, you operated that way anyway. So it was, but, but it didn't happen, I guess. I mean, when did you actually do all that with the trust and everything? 2007 and 2008. Yeah. That was the 99%. And then about four or five years later, we did the last 1%. And okay. there's been some tremendous advantages to doing it. Yeah. It is something that if I'd say for any follower of Jesus that hundred percent owns their company, it is something to really look hard at. You know, the, yep. the tax, your tax rate goes substantially down and you now have a succession plan for the two. In a company, there's three kind of main things. One is who owns it, who benefits from it, and who runs it. 
what we did in giving away the company, and I really don't even use that word anymore, what we did in transferring the stock of the company, yeah. we didn't really give it away. We still own it from a, you from can, a stewardship you can, standpoint. Yeah, We're still right. working just as hard as we ever worked. And, but that what we did solves those first two of who right. owns it and who benefits. It doesn't solve who runs it. And we still have to go through the succession plan of who's going to run this company in the future. But it's not laced with those other two that have when there's huge tax ramifications and family ramifications, it, it really simplified that. So we can transfer the stewardship of the company to a group of employees, to a family member. The company could go on for hundreds of years with multiple transfers of who's running it with no transfer of who owns it and who benefits from. Okay. So this is, I think, a perfect time. We needed that background really to lay the picture. And then a lot of people are thinking, okay, right. We got it back to the estate planning thing. I, now we got to, I, I just got to give this thing to the kids, right? I got to discount it. I got to jam as many shares as possible into a trust for the kids. Frankly, you should have done that with your brother back in 1986. They would say, okay, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And then the kids, frankly, would have hundreds of millions of dollars of value and be getting the distributions out of trust and as this stuff. Charity be getting bupkis, probably. <laughs> that would be kind of the world's approach. And if you don't do the world's approach, which is what people are kind of getting inundated with, wait, now, Alan, what do you and Catherine say to the kids about yeah. this? Well, it's great. I mean, two, two elements I would, you know, I already mentioned how we saw all those verses that warned us about yeah. well. Yeah. So, the, so you kind of laid the framework of how you look at this thing. Danger for us, danger zone for us. Right. Also, danger for our kids. So, do we want to give our kids a highly dangerous thing that is more likely than not to hurt them? Another point that we looked at was was the lottery and done some research on the lottery. I hate the lottery. We have it in Tennessee. Yep, it's um, everywhere. And basically, poor people are subsidizing my children. My kids. It's a regressive tax. Yeah. It's really it's it's terrible, but. The real victim of the lottery, the one whose life is ruined, is the winner. <laughs> yep. The guy that wins the lottery, almost invariably, his life is ruined. Yep. And there have been murders. There have been many families destroyed. Um, and, and you see it in family businesses where people are at each other's throat, and it's almost never because there's not enough money. Yep. It's almost always because there's too much. Mm. So. My point behind saying those things is what we did for our children, we felt that we were doing for them, not to them. It was, we were trying to help them. We, we believe in the verse that says you should leave a rich inheritance to your children and grandchildren. And we want to do that. So we gave them a rich inheritance of faith, of work ethic, of education, et cetera, et cetera, helping them learn how to be responsible. We allowed our kids to pay for half of their college education. Some people see that as child abuse. And we would see it as something <laughs> we did for them. I mean, it was a, a benefit to them. Um, yeah, they had to work. Yeah. And our kids grew up not as rich kids because of the lifestyle we chose. And they learned to be content. And teaching kids contentment, I think, is one of the best things you can teach them. There's a verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And, you know, kids don't become content by getting what they want. They become content by learning to enjoy what they have. And so 
all those things went together to say, if we thought our kids would be better off if we had left them substantial amounts of money, we would have seriously thought about doing that. But we feel like we were saving our kids from potential pitfalls. It is true that some of our kids are rock solid and I think would have no problem and would be able, because of, you know, partly because of how we taught them, partly because of things that they have learned independently, I think they would be okay. And there's plenty of stories of people that have been okay, but been okay inheriting a big chunk of money. Yeah, yeah, right. My supposition is those people would have been fine either way. Exactly. If they inherited zero, they would have been fine. And if they inherit a lot, they're going to be okay. It's not really about the money. No. And there's a and and they may have been better off to inherited less because it gave them give them more of a feeling of accomplishment to have gotten where they they go. Wow. There's not something they they were given. They earned it. And there's, I mean, it, and they went through the struggle. I mean, I've, I've heard people say, you know, I don't want my kids to have to go through the struggles that I went through. You've probably heard people say that. We literally talk about the gift of the struggle. Oh, isn't it? It's a gift. It's a gift, man. It's made us who we are. And when you try to eliminate pain and eliminate struggle. You don't get big muscles without working out. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I think that people, it's a flawed parenting strategy to give your kids too much and to try to take away the pain. And so we didn't feel even a slight tinge of doubt or guilt by saying to our kids, we're not going to leave you a lot of money. And, and we told them on the front end and our kids, our kids don't feel like they're the victims of our choices. They feel like they're the beneficiaries of it. We've exposed them to all kinds of things, taking them all over the world to see amazing brothers and sisters who are doing great things. We've had people in our home throughout the time they lived here. Yeah. Um, And so my kids have had some great exposures. They've had a good education. They've had a good faith grounding experience. They are ready for the world and they are taking on the world and doing extremely well. And so I I don't feel like we have uh, done anything that would cause them to be uh, frustrated or feeling like a victim of what we've done. I think they're, they understand it. The company was never ours. Therefore, it wasn't ours to give to them. It's God's company. Um, so we know nothing, you know, with six kids, somebody's going to say something. Okay. And maybe th- this probably isn't the worst thing. Uh, so, but, but there's going to be periods, right? Especially with six kids. Like you said, not, not everybody's going to like be super on board, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. So, but one of the things we talked about, was, maybe tell the Hummer story, if you don't mind, we're not trying to throw anybody under, under the bus, but I think it just illustrates that, you know, sometimes questions get asked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of our, you know, our kids were human and we right. had a pretty exactly. simple lifestyle and you know, we never bought new cars and we, right. you know, we, we were, you know, pretty simple lifestyle. And one of our kids got enamored with the Hummers. Like, right. Those Hummers came out and the, yep. you know, each one could climb up a wall or whatever. Exactly. He could do all those things. And he was, he kept giving me the specifications. And every time, <laughs> time we drive by one, he would talk about <laughs> Look at that. It was like, and I, and I finally kind of got annoyed by it. Cause yeah, it was just yeah. so, so we finally sat down and I said, son, if, if we wanted to, we could buy a hundred Hummers. Exactly. Okay? We could fill the driveway with Hummers and, 
we could write a check for it tomorrow and it'd be no problem. But why would we spend $100,000 for that Hummer when our $10,000 used Suburban gets better fuel mileage, hauls more people, can, you know, it just it rides better. And, and think what we can do with that $90,000. I mean, think what that would do in India where we were last year. That $90,000 would be a game changer. for Because he's seen it. I mean, yeah, he's seen it. That's the difference, I think, is he took them with you. To buy them a motorcycle or a bicycle is a might triple their ministry. And right. And, uh, so he had seen it. He had seen it. Yeah. Got it. And it, uh, and, you know, they're still all humans. We, I mean, I am too. Right, and absolutely. There are things that you look at and shiny objects. And, yeah. Uh, but I think having some constraints has helped them and helped us. And I think it was a gift to their spouses that they didn't show up with an entitlement mindset and a discontent and a desire for more, more, more. And, and I think one of the one of the ways you got to make this decision is very personal, right? It's, you know, and I think you have a very unique perspective on this as well. It's like, you know, you didn't take a poll from the kids. No. Right. You and Catherine made the decision. Okay. And, and your brother and, you know, as the principals of the business from really from the very beginning, from a structure standpoint, how are you doing? So talk about like, how you make that decision. Do you feel like it's your responsibility? Why don't you give the kids a vote? Yeah, I mean, it's it's my stewardship and Kat, Catherine and I's stewardship. And, you know, if our kids came to us and said, you know, really, we just really don't like the fact that you're going to church. And, you know, it's it's that's that's outdated. That's, you know, we we wish you would stop going to church. We wouldn't stop going to church because we're <laughs> right. annoyed about that. Right. If, if one of our kids said, you know, we want a whole bunch of the money, we would say, you know, it's God's money. We are stewards of it, not owners. And so even if they got. We're doing what he tells us to do. Exactly. As even if it makes them extremely upset. Like if our faith made them upset, if our whatever. you know, Anything God tells you to do that upsets somebody else, as long as he's telling you and it's not you trying to, you know. Yeah. Would you, Steve, would you please stop praying at dinner? No, I won't stop. Praying. <laughs> <laughs> Would yeah. you please? You know, so yeah. I think we're convinced that we're doing this for our children, not. And, and if one of our children greatly objected to it, it would be all the more a sign that that person should not be a steward of, you know, we shouldn't transfer our stewardship to them. And so, you know, I do think we want to do all kinds of things for our kids, but that including protecting them from the dangers of wealth and not protecting them from the struggles of life. You know, one of the things, phrases we use around here is accept your responsibility, you know, and empower, don't control. These are a couple of phrases we use a lot. And so accepting your responsibility as the primary steward, while it's under your primary stewardship and when yeah. it's not pass it on, as God says to pass it on. If, if somebody's out there is feeling called to pass it to one of their children to maybe even just from the control standpoint or running a piece of it or whatever, Godspeed to you or even yeah. the ownership. I mean, you, you do whatever God tells you to do. You don't go with the template. And so we call it kind of the kingdom versus world estate plan. The world will jam you, jam you into a template with very little generosity. And our encouragement is listen to what God says Alan and Catherine have done a, in a pretty radical way. It's actually influenced me and many others uh, to follow that path. 
Maybe that's not for everybody, but do whatever it is that God tells you to do and at least consider it as an option. I mean, there may be listeners out there who have kids who would be much better stewards than them, have proven that, have shown that. And they may say, the best thing I can do as a stewardship is to get it to my kids. You know, there's a there is a question of estate taxes and sure, the efficiency sure. of doing that, that, that uh, you know, they go through all kinds of gyrations that can be kind of expensive, which burns through some of the, the capital. But I don't think it's, you're right in saying this is not a, my life, my, my decisions are not prescriptive at all. I think the things that are would be the principles of God owns it all, talk to the owner and see what the owner wants you to do. And don't do what comes naturally, because if you that's do, exactly right. The template, if you will, of just dividing by the net worth by the number of kids yeah. has been talked about ad nauseum and is the default. You are going to be exposed to this. What I like about your story is it is literally the other opposite side of the spectrum of the maximum amount of generosity. And I think and, and honestly, this is the reason we're doing the podcast, man, is to just expose people to another view. And what I like about your story is it is probably if the template is A, you're probably C. And then yeah. just acknowledge God owns it. Ask him how, how much is enough for you, how much is enough for the kids, and what you should do with the excess. Those are those basic questions and principles. He will tell you what to do, but at least we're trying to expose people to another way. Jeff, help me out because I have never felt that what we did was radical. Okay, I felt that it was a natural, logical progression. You know, where God has given us all this, God has given us eternal life. We're going to live forever. Life on this earth is a tiny speck of our total life. Why would it be illogical or radical to um, operate as stewards rather than owners? You know, well, as our friend Randy Alcorn. Uh, likes to say in his a couple of books, but the treasure principle, I know you and I uh, are proponents of reading that book. If somebody wants just a quick read on this way of thinking, but one of his lines that I, that I love that I'm sure uh, you agree with is, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Yeah. So this idea, it's actually, I think it's a reasonably uh, deep theological idea that if we're just here for a split second and you believe that, okay. uh, And that trusting in Jesus gives you eternal life. Okay. If if you accept that and and then you accept this idea that he, he says it, I mean, you can, we encourage people to study those verses that talk about you will get credit for the things that you sacrifice in this life in eternity, which is a whole lot longer than this life. So I think this, I was describing it to somebody earlier today about the way you look at things, because I also often comment on this idea that you think it's so logical that it's hard for you to fathom why people don't think of it. It's really because the worldview, unfortunately, is a minority thought. That is the trade. And so your engineering brain is just doing the math like you do for every project. To me, you're just going, well, what's the most logical thing I can do with this money in front of me? I'm going to invest it for eternity where I get a million X return. Of yeah. course, that's the most logical thing, but you have to believe that that's true. You yeah. know, the other thing I believe it's true that I think plenty of non-believers believe is true also is that overdoing it with your children harms them. And most people Bible, do understand that that's a risk. Yeah, there's a huge risk of it, massive risk. 
life-changing, permanent life-changing risk. And so I think that given what I have seen in life, never mind anything I've read in scripture, but just things I've seen in life, if I didn't believe God existed, I would still not want to leave my kids a bunch of money. I think it would be more harm than good to them. Add all the warnings from scripture to it. And I think it's a no brainer. It, you know, and I, again, I have great kids and it's not, it's not because my kids are subpar and the, we encourage our, you know, we have two of our kids that work in our business and all of our kids are invited, but not expected to come into the business. The fact that they don't need to come in to sort of get their piece of the action, so to speak, has been freeing for them. They can come if they want to be co-stewards in the business, but they're not, they have no obligation to, or no financial incentive to come into the business. I think it has made that, it's kind of purified that some. So I think that's been another benefit. Uh, I think I'm glad you brought that up because that, that would probably be another question is how, how are they able to be involved in, and that sort of thing? Well, listen, let's wrap it there. The, 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 the last thing we always try to wrap it up with, of course, on our podcast and all the other episodes is like a practical tip. So again, if somebody just wants to get started, you know, maybe it's the Bible verses to read, maybe it's, you know, a question to ask yourself or your spouse, or your business partner or whatever it is, what's a little practical tip just to start down this road of thinking differently about this that you could leave with, a, with the audience? I think, I think I would just want to say, love your children. Mm. And because you love them, allow them to go through the struggles in life. Ooh, I love it. Yeah. Give them the gift of the struggle. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks, Alan, for sharing your wisdom today. Obviously gave us a lot to chew on. The first time I heard this, if somebody had to pull over on the side of the road and go, holy smokes, my mind is blown. You are not alone. Other people think that way. And trust me, the more you noodle on it, the less radical it will, uh, the idea will become. So thanks again, Alan. Amen. Thank you. Thanks everybody for joining us on this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.